In this episode of 9-2-Y Talks, moderator Annette Insdorf interviews Jonathan Price and director Fernando Mireles about the film The Two Popes. Price plays Pope Francis, a liberal humanist from Argentina, alongside Anthony Hopkins as his conservative predecessor, Pope Benedict. The conversation was recorded on December 17, 2019, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. It is such an honor to welcome Jonathan Price and Fernando Mireles. I'm going to ask them a few questions about the wonderful film we have just seen. And towards the end, we will take a few questions from the audience as well. Um, so I did want to start with a little bit about the origins. Um, for Jonathan Price, I mean, how did you get involved in this project? And were you already familiar with the work of director Fernando Mereles here, the, the titles that I think most people will recognize, City of God and The Constant Gardener and Blindness. Um, and was that part of what made you say yes? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, really. Um, no, it, it, uh, the script came to me for, uh, by my agent, usual way. Uh, they said uh, they want you to play uh, Pope Francis. I was initially um, doubtful about whether I wanted to do it, but I, I thought I'd be on a hiding to nothing playing a living Pope. And the script uh, read very well, but it, it, you, know, you could read it in a very academic way. It's, it's uh, two old men talking to each other at length. Um, but I always knew that Fernando was going to be directing it, and um, that made me, I was fairly confident that it wasn't going to be a straight biography, it wasn't going to be a hagiography, it was going to have something that had a great deal of life and energy to it, and a point of view which wasn't necessarily about the church, it was about the wider issues that this, the, uh, that the script throws up and that uh, Pope Francis talks about. So, um, no, I definitely knew I wanted to do it. Good. Straight away. And for Fernando, were you initially visualizing two actors like Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins? Or when you read Anthony McCartan's script, was it primarily the themes, the, the dialogue, the, the way that it gave life to them? At what point did you decide on this gentleman? In, well, the, well the, the first thing that attracted me was something on Pope Francis before we had the, the script. And then the script came, and I had to find an actor. First thing you do is you Google <laughs> Pope Francis to see who, 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 which actor would feel like. And, and, uh, and of course, at that point, he was uh, on being High Sparrow, Game of Thrones. <laughs> there was hundreds of photos of, of uh, Jonathan and, and the Pope next to each other. Of course, I, I had to check. And uh, some, I mean, different works of Jonathan, and I saw some interviews of Jonathan being Jonathan, and I felt he had the same energy of the very good sense of humor, and, and uh, I felt the same kind of feeling that I feel with the Pope. Now, so he was my first choice, and then and I had worked with Tony before, so we sent him the script, and uh, and I was lucky enough. The two first choices, both of them wanted to to be part of the film, could do it, so. And I, I realized um, only after seeing the film that this was not the first time you were playing an Argentine character, namely oh. in uh, Evita, Juan Perón, alongside Madonna. I don't know, Fernando, had you seen that? Was the idea of 
Jonathan, Jonathan as an Argentine. Nah, that wasn't no, there. No, but we're planning a film on Maradona, and I yeah, have any yeah. ideas. Maradona, oh. the later years I'm going to play. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, in this film, I think everyone here is aware of the layers that you bring to this character, playing Pope Francis with uh, gentle conviction and this sort of lovable whimsy. Um, and I was wondering, was that character, as you play him, already alive in the screenplay of Anthony McCartan? In other words, could you see already what that man was? Or was it primarily a function of your working together in rehearsal or, or not to find that character? No, oddly enough, it all comes from Pope Francis. Um, I, he was the, he's the first, I, I was not, uh, I'm not a Catholic, I was raised uh, in the uh, Presbyterian Church in Wales, and I used to go to chapel every Sunday, and I'd go to Sunday school. Um, and as a teenager, uh, like millions of other teenagers, uh, left the church, left organized religion. Um, and this was, the, but this was the first pope I felt had ever really spoken to me. Um, I was aware of all the other popes over the years, you know, the the avuncular pope, the um, slightly austere pope, the pope who was possibly poisoned, all the different popes. But this was the first pope that I felt was saying things that I uh, wanted to hear said by a world leader. And he was talking about issues that I and millions of others uh, felt very strongly about. And I was attracted to him because of his politics and certainly less about uh, the church. Um, and I, I saw in him someone I had liked and admired, and you know whether it was in the script or not, it was he was my inspiration. Right. And um, you know, you get asked, "How do you build a character?" And this is the first time I've ever, ever answered, uh, "I didn't build it; he built it, and I follow in his footsteps." And it's you know everything's there to see and to research and. Uh, the, with my initial fears of playing a living pope, uh, they changed, you know, almost overnight. It was, uh, it was a lot easier to play a living person than uh, a dead one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I've played a lot of dead ones. <laughs> yeah. Not popes, people. Yeah. And, and Fernando, you said that you wanted to make a film about Pope Francis even before you saw the script. Um, I'd like to know a little bit whether your reasons are similar to Jonathan's. Exactly and did, did you, and did yeah. you, for example, see the documentary of Vim Vendors from 2018, Pope Francis, uh, a man of his word? Yeah, no, I watched it, and, and my reasons are exactly the same. I I'm much more, was very interested in the pope. First of all, when he, he became a pope, I never really cared much about the Vatican. I don't like much that world. But when he became a pope, he was, he was that pop star figure and so open and so, I mean, charming. Everybody started liking him. And then he published his, his encyclica called Laudata Si, uh, the care of our common house, home. And, and I thought it was wonderful, extraordinary, because uh, it's an encyclica based on science that tell, tell us that we have to take care of the planet because we're destroying, we're consuming the planet. And, uh, and I thought, well, the church, writing a, a, a such important document on, on science, based on science. And uh, anyway, he became really my, I think, one of the most important voice in the world for me. 
It's the guy who really tries to build bridges instead of building everybody else in this, this wave of, of nationalism and populism right. that wants to build bridges, economic bridges and, and, and uh, tax bridges and all kinds of, not bridges, walls, sorry. Walls. And he's the guy who's really trying to, to understand. Anyway, that's, that's my reason. And I completely agree with that. I, I happen to not be of the Christian tradition at all. I'm a nice Jewish girl, but I have felt in Pope Francis um, a voice of humanism, of humility, of, of humor. And for example, in the documentary, I was so moved. Um, this is Vin Vendor's film. At one point at the UN, there's footage of Pope Francis warning everybody because he says, we're too much assuming that we're masters of this earth instead of caretakers. And then he, he mentions the, the importance of the three T's. Um, Tierra, trabajo, and techo, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, uh, the importance of the land, of work, and of the roof. And after I saw that documentary, which was long before uh, the two popes, I wanted to add a fourth T uh, in Spanish, tocar, because this is a man who literally touches, you know, somebody who physically touches, and you capture so much of that in the film, and who's always reaching, you know, trying to create something better than what he has seen before. Yeah, two, two weeks ago he was in Tokyo, and, and, and I mean, he's still saying the same things, and he had a, a talk to very young people, and it was amazing, he was supporting Greta's movement. He, he <coughs> asked Jap the young Japanese <coughs> to get involved in this youth movement to save the planet, because you can do it, the old generation can't. I mean, he's really extraordinary guy. Yep, now have uh, either of you met Pope Francis yet, either before the film was finished or after? No. No. I just shook hands. You did? Uh, yeah. D and has, do you know if he has seen the film? Well, we've just had a, um, beginning of last week, we had a screening in Rome to which members of the Vatican were invited and they turned up, which surprised me. A, a row of priests and uh, a bishop and a cardinal and um, we went and had dinner while they watched the film, and then we came back just as they were leaving. And I think some of the priests were trying to get away without making any comment. Um, I stopped them in the street, and uh, slowly they, it unfolded that they'd really enjoyed it, and that they were rather amused by being in the street with me. They were, you know, looking at me and look, looking at the Pope. And, but the important thing was that uh, Cardinal Turkson, who's uh, a close friend of Benedict's and a good friend of Francis, he said that he liked the film very much um, and that he wanted to take a DVD to Francis because he thought he would uh, like it. And you, you said to... Yeah, well, we Turkson. sent the DVDs, subtitled in Spanish. But you said to Turkson about I, what did you feel about his... Uh, that we said about the church. And oh, yeah, I asked him if, if we had been very hard on the church. He said, no, I was expecting, I mean, you were very light. I was expecting worse. Yeah. And yeah. So, but he really enjoyed it. I mean, it was yeah. And yeah. one thing I remember when Pope Francis was first named, um, I got a call from Reuters uh, because it turned out that he was the first pope to openly acknowledge that he loved movies and that apparently his favorite film was Fellini's Juliet of the Spirits. 
And they asked me to write a little article on why would Pope Francis love Juliet of the Spirits. I, I, so I literally started sitting down and trying to research, you know, yeah. the idea. I wrote something. I'm not sure if it was any good. But it was one of the reasons that I warmed to the very idea of Pope Francis, that he had watched movies in his youth and remembered them and still cared about them. I bet he wants to see yours and will. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, but what I think he will, I'm, what am I, who am I to say this? It's the very human way in which you and Anthony Hopkins embody these characters. I can't imagine that he wouldn't appreciate, and this is so much a function of Fernando's direction, there's this kind of easygoing intimacy. Now, I don't know, I'm going to ask you, Jonathan, about this. You had worked once before with Anthony Hopkins, like over 20 years ago. Was it Dylan Thomas's yeah, Under did, uh, Milkwood? We're, we're both on a recording of Under Milkwood. Exactly. And you're both Welshmen. So, yeah. I mean, was, was there already a relationship or? No. no. This was, because one gets the feeling in the course of the film that the two actors are growing closer together, expressing the way that It does. It's, well, we shot those scenes, uh, the Vatican scenes, uh, our meeting, um, not the, not the early scenes when we're butting up against each other and you know, rejecting each other, but the scenes where I go to uh, uh, present my resignation, they were shot kind of chronologically. And that relationship that you see on screen kind of mirrors my relationship with Tony in that uh, we both obviously both knew of each other and we had, a, thankfully, a, a mutual respect and regard. Um, but the, that friendship grew, and it grew very quickly. I mean, he's, uh, I admire him as an actor a great deal. I love him as a man. He's, uh, we had a great time together. We had a lot of fun together on and off screen. Yeah. Um, and I think it shows that, that, that warmth, and it's, it's not uh, anything we had to work hard at. Sure. There was a, just a, a little thing which I'll, I, I've shared with the rest of the world, so I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> On the recording of uh, Under Milk Wood, uh, Tony was voice number one and I was voice number two. And we come to almost 30 years later in Rome and there's the call sheet which tells you you work the next day and your name and your character. And your character is given a number according to your importance to the film. And I was number one and Tony was number two. <laughs> So uh, I had to wait a long time to get my revenge. <laughs> but he, uh, he used to greet me each morning with uh, morning number one, <laughs> morning number two. And then as we became friends and we finished the film, he'd sign off his emails to me as sir number two. Oh, oh very cool. So I've got to find another way to get back at him. <laughs> this is, by the way, mirrored to some extent in the fact that uh, this film and your performances have already see, received nominations. If I remember correctly, was it the Golden Globes where you are nominated in the Best Actor category and Anthony Hopkins in the Best Supporting Actor category? Yeah. There's your one and two, and it would be wonderful if the world were to recognize both for that fantastic contribution. Yeah. Um, now, one of the reasons that I feel this is such an intimate film where I get to really get I get closer to the characters, is that some of the close-ups, Fernando, are so extreme that I could actually start to tell how one hair of an eyebrow is longer than another in an actor's face. So first for you, I, I was curious. You noticed that one. 
What's that? I, I lost this. I, I didn't get that. I, I got it. Um, <laughs> why, what made you choose that kind of extreme close-up? And I'm also curious, secondarily, whether the actor is even aware of the proximity of the camera. But. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the whole, uh, this, this comes a bit before, because uh, I read the script. It was a very intelligent script. But uh, after a sign, they realized that uh, actually it was very dense and very dry. So uh, to make it work, I, I thought that the best way would be to make it very intimate, very personal, and, and try to make a film, not a film on a pope talking to a cardinal, but a, about two men who disagree on everything, but very personal, very... So all the decisions in the film are, were made to support as well. First of all, uh, we worked in the script for eight months, wow. for, since the first script till, till, till we start shooting. It was eight months. And during this period, I add, we add a lot of uh, jokes and that uh, wasn't in the script in the first place, but we start just to make it. So in the first draft, we didn't have the, the phone call for Lampedusa in the beginning, which really happens, I mean. And, and, or the pizza, or the, 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 the joke about German. Uh, it's, it's all that things that- That was one that, of my favorite. Start, yeah, we start- It's a German joke, it's not meant to be funny. This place laughed quite a bit at that line. Yeah. Whoever added that, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's friends that are, are, are in fin. I was very uh, aware of what was happening around and you know, collecting ideas. And anyway, always to, to make the film make, feel very, very intimate and very hum, humanize the characters. And I found out that things like, like eating pizza is not, not funny at all. But when a pope eats pizza, for some reason, it becomes funny. So uh, we use that a lot, just simple things. And the close-ups, I was saying that everything is very simple in the film. Very, the light is very flat, to, 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 because it, the reference is frescoes, who has uh, lights. The Sistine Chapel is all frescoes around, and the lighting, the, the frescoes are, are, are use colors to, to, to define shape, not light. It's very flat, so we, we create light that is, reflects the, the, the frescoes. And it also helps the actors because it's very there's no shadow, and I wanted I knew that uh, the film uh, would work if the actors could get be in their best. So the close-ups with the flat light is really to so we could read their thoughts. That that was the idea. I knew you weren't. It was, I wasn't aware of uh, that the camera being so close. I mean, um, we, yeah. Well, Cesar, uh, the cameraman. I mean, he generally was uh, handheld or some peculiar yeah. contraption that uh, he was f constantly focusing on us. And then there'd be a static camera occasionally around getting w wider shots at the same time. Um, but I, I, I learned a, a lesson doing um, Game of Thrones, oddly enough, where you would do huge set piece scenes and because the traditional way when I started filmmaking was you do um, the wide shot, the mid shot, and the close up. And I was doing a particular scene which was quite intense. And eventually I said, um, they said, okay, fine. they were moving on, they'd got it. And I said, well, what about the close up? And they said, we got it. I said, when? He said, you see that camera up there? That was on you. So you, um, you have to remind yourself to... Um, and it's, it's very different now to when I started. The lighting is, uh, is it's that much quicker because the cameras are mostly digital. 
they're lighter, they're more flexible, and they can move with you and around you, and you're, you're less aware of them. And it, it's great because other lessons that I've learned over the years is that you don't, to stop acting for the camera. I always used to try and accommodate the camera, and uh, because I'm a very accommodating person. But, um, <laughs> but then, the, the, you know, you just have to concentrate on the person you're acting with. And uh, in this situation, it really lent itself to Tony and I just talking to each other. And I trusted Fernando and I trusted Cesar that uh, it would be captured, and it all was. I, I, one of the nicest things I read about it was A.O. Scott's review. He, he called your interplay, the two actors, a duet with sweet and eccentric harmonies. And he praised how you and Hopkins draw out both the spiritual and psychological dimension of your characters. And, and I, I did feel in watching the film, I, I think, doesn't Pope Benedict actually say something about you have to learn how to listen? That the moment, one got the feeling that it's the two actors and the two popes are making a true effort to listen to one another. And we also get a sense of the frustration. One of my favorite moments is when they're about to eat pizza and you realize that the uh, benediction is taking just a little bit too long. You can't wait to have the pizza and he's still you know, doing the blessing. And it's that kind of, the, you know, the tiny moments, the looks yeah. that establish the authenticity of these characters. Well, what you, I mean, yes, we were doing it, but you have to um, give thanks to the editor. Yeah and to Fernando who made the choices and who allowed the silences to breathe. And uh, because it could be a very different film if it was edited in a different way. It could be very choppy and the, the dialogue could move very quickly, but there's, uh, it's great when you, yeah, everything, it's the silences, that when the, the quiet moments between people right. when they talk. But I would add to that that in the first third of the film, I found how energizing the editing was. I mean, I don't know if, again, you did this in post-production and it wasn't necessarily in advance. When they're voting the first time, the incredibly quick montage of the pens clicking and what look, I think my husband, when we first saw the film, at the end of the scene, you, said, you whispered to me, bingo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because there was that <coughs> sense of this, almost like a game that was being played in a theatrical, important space. Yeah. And the, the editing enlivens and makes light what could be considered a very heavy subject. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah, what the, point did you decide on that? Yeah, the, the editor is, very, is a young guy, and he's really brilliant, brilliant with music, brilliant with rhythm. And, uh, and he, he, he studied, by chance, theology for three years. So he's very into it. He really understands this world. And he just told me this like two months ago. I, I didn't know it. He was so committed to the church and he never told me. He just wow. told me now. But anyway, he's, he's a really brilliant, brilliant guy. And, uh, and for me, uh, all, all the films that I, I, I've made and that I will make, hopefully, uh, I usually go to the sets just to capture image. So we have different posi camera positions. We try different things, but I really, feel that I'm, I'm making the film when I'm cutting the film. And then uh, that's when I, I start changing the order of scenes. I, I, eventually there's a line that was in, in a scene uh, 20 minutes before, and I just get that line and put here. It's, it's really all mixed up. In, in this film, there's a lot of flashbacks that comes back and forth uh, to the Sistine Chapel. This is not scripted. This is really the work in, in, in the cutting room. 
that's when I really make the film. That's when I feel there's no pressure. We're alone in a dark room. We can take time. And, and so we did a lot of ADR. Remember, Jonathan, after we finished, I mean, as we were editing, we decided to change something. So we put the voice with our voice, and then we had to call you. How many times we went to ADR? Like yeah, seven, know. eight times? Yeah. Because yeah. we keep creating lines and, and adding things. And, and anyway, that's the. It's a process. It's one of the great things about filmmaking. It's created in the screenplay, then it's created on the set with the actors, and then it takes on a whole new life during the editing process. I have one more question for you about preparation, because you deliver your lines in four out of the five languages spoken in this film. Uh, you seem completely fluent in your, not, I'll come back to Spanish, but Italian, Latin, English, but you speak what I know is an Argentine Spanish. When I went to Buenos Aires years ago, I learned how different Buenos Aires Spanish is from Madrid Spanish, for example. Could you talk a little about your linguistic preparation and did you spend time in Argentina prior to shooting? Well, what I'm about to say must not leave this room. <laughs> it won't. I learned uh, the entire script in the different languages. I learned the Spanish and uh, we filmed with me speaking Spanish. And uh, all that was very accurate, but what wasn't accurate was my Argentine accent. Oh. So that first section is uh, revoiced by an Argentine actor. But my I lips are saying all the right things, <laughs> and I'm thinking all the right things. So it, it's not like, a, I wasn't going one, two, three, four, five. No, it's not Fellini style. It's, uh, it, it was because of the accent. No, and more than that, the, 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 the guy who changed the voice, he used your, your intonation, yeah. your time, so, so it's really your acting, yeah. just, just the voice. So I still voice. get the award. Yeah, it's right. Absolutely. Uh, and besides, I bet that when... <laughs> no, because, yeah. <laughs> he, he would listen to you speaking in Spanish yeah. and would just repeat, yeah. you, trying to, to mimic the same rhythm, the same tone. But the Italian, uh, it was delightful to be able to do the, the speech on the balcony because that, that's, I can hear him. There's recording of him, obviously. So I could copy how he spoke. And, uh, and the Latin, there's a great line in the film where it says, can we not speak? I don't know Latin very, as well as you. Can we not speak it anymore? Which is fine, because I learned just enough. <laughs> it's good. But the other thing was learning to speak um, uh, Speaking sorry, that confused me. That speaking English with a Spanish accent, right. which uh, had to be accurate because there's, um, I don't know how Americans feel it, but as a Welsh person, there's nothing that drives me wilder than a British person, usually an English person, attempting a Welsh accent and getting it wrong, <laughs> and sounding more Indian or Pakistani than. Welsh. <laughs> So um, I was very conscious that it, that had to be accurate, and uh, I got the thumbs up from various. So I, I, I felt authenticity visually, verbally, and in terms of the entire film. But but I learned that Tony Hopkins fooled me. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, I couldn't I couldn't get the, the German accent because I'm Brazilian. I don't have the you know I'm not prepared. I don't have the software. So I would always ask him. Tony, are you sure you're, you're making some, you, there's a uh, German accent here. It says, yeah, it's very little, very, but he lied. I mean, because everybody well, says that he's, he's speaking English. Well, <laughs> he did Any, the, anybody here 
did you felt any accent? Yeah. But it was very, it was very funny when uh, when we had our first meeting. We're telling tales now. When we had our first meeting and. Uh, and we were asked, Tony and I were asked if we were religious at all. And I said, no, but I fully expect to be by the end of the film. <laughs> and Tony had his answer. And then I think Fernando said, now, you're, you're, to me, you are going to be doing a, a Spanish accent, aren't you? Argentinian accent. I said, yes, of course. And Tony, a German accent. Oh, yes, 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 but uh, not too much, you know, not too much. Just, just, because you can overdo these things, you know, just a little, just nodding. No. So we shoot the first scene in the helicopter, and we, the scene's going on. And uh, we land, and Fernando says what he's just That's told you. Time. He said to, uh, he said to Tony, uh, um, Tony, I, you know, I, I, my, my, I'm, I'm Brazilian, and my ear isn't that good for European. But you are doing a German accent, aren't you? And Tony goes, Oh yes, yes, but uh, just not too much, you know. Just a bit. <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, you're not doing one at all. <laughs> yeah, she calls him But I didn't Welsh have book. the heart to tell him. So it's, <laughs> but, it, it's, uh, but what Tony does have is, uh, is the rhythms yes. of, of speech. So he's, he is much more staccato than me. So I think that's what he felt was the right thing to do for him. And because I, I think, in a way, if we were both doing distinctive accents, it would be a bit... In, you know, of two hours of it would be a bit uh, not good, really. Comedic, yeah. I think. Just do it. Now, you just said something that leads me to ask a and question. The other thing oh, you lied about <laughs> was the, the, uh, the, when he plays the piano. It's true. And he'd, uh, he'd, uh, there was, uh, Mozart was written as a piece in the script. And a couple of months beforehand, he'd called Fernando and said, I don't think Mozart's right. And, and I think uh, Smetna would be more right for this piece because he, he had a very dark life. He was very... And uh, so I, I, I want to play Smetna. So we shot that scene where he played... Uh, and he's uh, blaming himself. He's a concertist. And he's playing, definitely. He's a wonderful pianist. And um, then they, they went to clear the rights for the Smetna. And uh, they discovered this piece of music doesn't exist. He composed himself. And he'd, he'd and written lied himself. again. He's a liar. He's a liar. <laughs> and he'd passed it off as Smetna. And I, I think it's just for the royalties that he'd <laughs> written it. Well, oh. it's uh, it was wonderful. But didn't he also write the, the uh, German cabaret music? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he passed yeah. yeah. <laughs> That, that one he know. owned up to, but he didn't own yeah, up yeah. to yeah. the Don't Smetna. trust Tony Hopkins, please. No, don't. Never. <laughs> That's what makes him such a great actor. There's yeah. a very playful uh, questing of identity here. Now, you said, I fully expect to be religious by the time the film is over. I'm curious because, I mean, you've played such a range of characters and, you know, you've worked with Scorsese and Terrence Malick and uh, obviously Terry Gilliam. Now, you've, chose, you've chosen two people there. You say I work with them. Terrence Malick, I did half a day with, and he said good morning to me and, uh, and thanks very much. That was his direct. That's one way that directors work. And by the way, I don't, this is not the place for me to do it, but I could do a little dissertation on how that is absolutely understandable about yeah. Terence Malick's films. It's and Scorsese. Age um, of Innocence. I'm doing the scene with Dan Lewis, and he, he, he goes and watches it on the monitor, and he comes out and he says, yeah, that's good, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, 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 it's good, it's good. Do you, do you want to do it again? <laughs> um, yeah, okay. 
Okay, so we do it again. He goes, yeah, that's, 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 that's great, it's great. Do you want to do it again? <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll do it again. And that was his direction. So anyway, it might be different for different things. Well, then now, now you're giving me two different you questions. Did, he never said to me, do you want to do it again? He would say, that's enough. Thank you. Don't do it again. Okay, so. I, there I, you go, back to you. No, no, but my first question was it, going to be. You got me late at night. I'm coming out with all these uh, <laughs> secrets. Actually, yeah. it's, it's wonderful that we can learn something about the actual process as opposed to, you know, the, myth, the mythologizing of how directors and actors work. But, I, all right, so I'm curious, first of all, yeah. whether playing Pope Francis has indeed affected you as a human being. In other words, was it, on a human level, not just professionally, something that slightly changed you at all? I don't know. I, I, um, I think I had my beliefs uh, in humanity confirmed. Um, I, my faith is, in, is not in an organized religion. It's in my fellow man. It's in the people I interact with. It's in my family. Um, and I feel that's how he feels. Um, and I wouldn't make any great claims. I mean, every, every job I do, I, I learn something. It's been, for the past almost 50 years, my education. I, I went to art school. I never intended to be an actor. I, and I didn't have a, an education that was in any way an intellectual education. I, didn't, I never went to university. So my work over the, all these years is, has been my education. And I, uh, this kind of, if I never make another film, this is like the culmination of all things I've learned about filmmaking, but all things I've learned about life. And um, I, I can't help but take away something from it, even if it's just my respect for the man, and I don't want to uh, tarnish that uh, respect I have for him. Um, and a, a couple of things happen. Um, it's, it's a great privilege to have been to play, have played him, actually. And but in, in Buenos Aires, uh, the uh, Jesuit priest we were working with, when I was leaving the set, and we'd been doing that scene where I was sorting clothes for the poor and well, the real people and real shelter. And um, the priest came to say goodbye to me, and before um, he said, "Before you go, would you, would you mind if I blessed you?" And that might not be a big deal to a lot of people, but uh, I hadn't been blessed since I was baptized as a baby. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, fine, you know." And he blessed me, and I, th I felt this kind of uh, some overwhelming something hmm. happening. And it was, a, again, a combination of everything that happened when we were filming in Buenos Aires. But uh, I found myself asking him, to, would he bless my family? And, um, you know, there's something, uh, there, there is something, you know, it's been proved right for 2,000 years for all of us, our faiths and our religion. Uh, wherever you find your spirituality, it, it's, there's, there's something, it's there, it's present. Um, and I, I, found, I found it in things like going to concerts and, and music and uh, going to Leonard Cohen concerts and go, most recently going to see David Byrne hmm. in American Utopia, which I went to twice um, because it is the most wonderful, life-affirming, inspiring, 
hour and a half you could spend with 12 people on a stage. Um, his songs are simple, but they're sort of elegiac in a way, in the way he sings. There's, there's no uh, barrier between him and what he's singing. He mm -hmm. just comes out, and it's, uh, it's glorious, glorious. And, um, you know, that, there's my faith and there's my spirituality. I can understand that and appreciate that, as I'm sure many people here can. <laughs> we have um, only 10 minutes left for audience questions. We're going to ask that the lights come up a little bit so that we can see if you have a hand. Please do raise it. And there is one can on I the aisle. Can I also say, just Sorry. before, okay. the last thing yes. I'll say uh, before you compose your questions is that somebody said to Auntie McCartan after a screening, this, he says, you do realize you've made a Jewish film, don't you? And he said, what are you talking about? He said, it's two rabbis talking about the scriptures, talking about the Talmud, discussing, making jokes. And uh, so I don't know if you agree or not. Well, I, I agree because the last line of the film is the real Pope Francis telling the real Pope Benedict, and, and please eat well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gee. There you go. Uh, yes, on the aisle. question about the coordination between um, the young actor who played uh, Bergoglio as a young man and you playing the older character. One Menuhin, yeah. Yeah, um, well, it was. We met in London um, and we read things together. I think um, it was kind of set. I, I got there first, so I, I established the role. And Juan... Um, looked at a, a lot of film of me when I was younger and uh, to get the way I phrased things and get the way I walked a bit and just a, a sense of me. And, um, and he, he also helped me with my Spanish. He put things on tape for me to learn. Um, but I, I worried initially that he doesn't look anything like me. But that's, uh, in some ways, it's, it's reinforced by the nature of the film, isn't it? Because it's about how people change and develop. So it, did, it didn't matter that uh, it's not exact, you know, it's lucky that I look, look like Pope Francis, but it, it didn't matter that he doesn't look that much. It's not about you that. It's, very well. Sorry? You have matured very well. He <laughs> said you have matured very well. Yeah. There is one question in the back here and one question there, and then that'll be the last. The music. The music, yeah, well, the music, but we, as I was saying, everything in the film is supposed to make the film uh, hu human and, and, and simple. And so we used a lot of some known music, it's ABBA or, or, or Beatles, and the music, the music that uh, Bryce Desner, the composer, have created is also very simple. It's mostly guitar and voices and uh, and for the guitar, he's very he's a very sophisticated uh, guitar player. He changed all the strings. Instead of using metal strings, he used nylon strings, which is cheap and sounds more like, like South America, so it would sound more like Pope Francis. It's really... Ah. But, uh, but the combination of those different source music, we used a bit of Mercedes Sosa and, and, and Dino Salusi, who is a great uh, bandoneon player in Argentina. 
they used to, to make it very popular, like Pope Francis. And when we show, uh, like, the, 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 when Pope Benedict comes to the balcony, so the German side of the film, <coughs> then this is an orchestra, and we, we, uh, Bryce has created a kind of Wag Wagnerian uh, music for, for Pope Benedict. So Pope, Pope Francis is always popular, and, and <laughs> Benedict is more German. And, and and the I same thing with, with the, the camera, I mean, the camera work. With Benedict, his steady shots, and, and he's small in the frame, and Pope Francis is handheld, close to him. There's always this. And I love the way you use the saxophone music twice. Um, it almost draws uh, the Francis character into the church. The first time, you know, in black and white, and the second time, mm. the saxophone is almost like the call. The you know, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, done. because we had the saxophone in Sistine Chapel, so I decided to use it in, in Argentina. And the idea of the saxophone in Sistine Chapel is because he's looking at the Last Judgment, Michelangelo, and in the Sistine Chapel, there's lots of paintings, Botticelli, a lot of really big masters, but uh, they all look very steady and, and stiff when you compare it to Michelangelo, which is pure creation. He's really a jazz painter, you know? <laughs> there's life, there's movement, there's... So we thought we couldn't show Michelangelo with the classical music, with Haydn or anything. So I decided to go for jazz, because that's Michelangelo. That's, that's great. <laughs> uh, question there? <laughs> Mazel tov on incredible storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Downstairs we have the fabulous, uh, the, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel with Rachel Brosnahan at the same time. Of one flight down. All right. Where did you film? Well, <laughs> well um, we weren't... Uh, in Buenos Aires, we filmed in many of the locations where Francis uh, was. And we, when I prepared dinner in the... In the kitchen where he would cook kitchen. every yeah. weekend. And... Uh, bedroom, we used his own bedroom. And we had the actual barber who cuts his hair, cutting my hair or pretending to cut it because it had to be continuity with the film. He was very disgruntled that he thought my hair was too long. Um, and then in Rome, uh, the Vatican don't allow filming within the Vatican or in the, the precincts of the Vatican. So we built the Sistine Chapel. I say we, but we built the Sistine Chapel in Cinecittà. Uh, Mark Tilsley, uh, brilliant. Uh, designers, they spent I think six to eight weeks yeah. uh, recreating it, and uh, it's five centimeters, a couple of inches bigger than the real Sistine Chapel, so that Mark can boast that he's built the biggest Sistine Chapel in the world. <laughs> and then the other, the Vatican and Casa Gan Castel Gandolfo, were other palaces north and south of Rome and Naples. And yeah. But, uh, and and St. Peter's, uh, Peter's Square, we couldn't shoot there, so it's all green screen and, and extras, and, and then they, we, yeah, it's all, it looks like documentary that, that we went with a little camera and shot, like a, no, it's, it's how to make, yeah, I don't know, $3 million shot looks like 
to $200 shots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the trick. <laughs> wow. It's true, it's all, all, all the effects. Union is the, the guys who done it in London. Okay, yeah, yeah. last question. If the intent of the screenplay was both the message and the messenger, <laughs> what was... The message and the messenger? The message, uh, I guess. Yeah. The, the theological message The theological message of both the old fabric and the new fabric in the Catholic Church. And, but then what would be your intention? Yeah. Or your motivation. Or motivation. Yeah, for, for me, for me, I see different levels of, of messages in the film, if we can say that. One is, is 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 more more personal, which is the idea of tolerance, of listening to people who who disagree with and trying to find the common ground. And, and uh, I think the whole world is very polarized nowadays. Well, here in U.S., my country, everywhere you look, you have to, and, and inside the church is the same. So. Uh, what we see in the church reflects what is happening in the world, and, and, and these two guys, they were able to, to come to an understanding. I think nowadays, uh, both popes, they, they don't, still don't agree with most of what they think, but there's affection. I, I'm quite sure that there's real affection, so that's something. And, and also, I like the message on, 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 on forgiveness and self-forgiveness, I know a lot of people who, who, I mean, destroy their lives. They don't talk to their family because they have problems. You don't forgive. So you, you carry that thing or you don't forgive yourself or something and you destroy your life. Anyway, this idea of that you must forgive yourself and you must forgive the others, I think is really... There's also in a different level, there's the political level, which is Pope Francis' agenda, which I, I, I think was the thing that brought me to this project. The idea of that we have a, an economic system that is very unfair, that creates inequality. And, uh, and in the end of the film, we add, this wasn't scripted, but we add uh, the refugee crisis. I think the refugee crisis, will, we know that's gonna grow a lot in the next 10, 15 years because of climate uh, crisis, will become something huge that can destabilize the whole world. I'm very pessimistic. So I, I was glad to, to include refugee crisis there. And in the spiritual level, I love the, the I'm not uh, religious, but I like the idea of uh, you, uh, us being able to connect to something. Sometimes we, we, we lose this connection, but if you keep your, your exercise or yoga or your, your tai chi, or if you still go to the church, at some point you can reconnect. I love this idea and this is in the film. Yeah. Well, um... <laughs> All I can do um, is, to, is to say how grateful I am that we have had the opportunity to see this film on a big screen. You can watch it on Netflix, but a big screen with the sound system yeah, helps. Yeah, big screen. And how much I look forward to more nominations and more awards that this film deservedly should be getting. Um, but just, you know, it, it, it warms my heart when we can share a film that is not only beautifully crafted by actor, director, screenwriter, etc., but that does indeed make us question and reaffirm our values, beginning with how we treat one another, how we talk to one another. And if the film shows anything at all, it's that people who might be adversaries um, on the surface, if they get to know one another, 
they're going to find common ground. And what's the line from the film? Mercy is the dynamite that blows down walls. That blows down walls. Let's hope that continues. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92y.org archives. <laughs>